Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. For four years, we try to come up here every Sunday night, especially during football season. When we get the big wins, we are here. And when we get the bad losses, we are here. And when we get the unbelievable losses like we did yesterday, we are here. The Frogs lose one. I don't even know how you call it a heartbreaker. They lose the game at Kansas. First loss to Kansas since they joined the Big 12 in 2012. There's going to be plenty to talk about. You might have some PG-13 language from a few people, but we're going to dig into all of it on this episode of the Frogcast. As always, I got Jeremy and I got Daniel here. We're going to dive into this game and a whole lot more on this episode, but let's just start with the blunt truth. Daniel, I'm going to go to you. Losing to Kansas, which means that we are now the Twitter punchline all season. We are the Twitter punchline from every uh, weird shadow Twitter account to a recruit that commits to TCU. Have we bottomed out? Yeah, you have to. Where, how much further can you go? I mean, you can lose the rest of the games uh, for the rest of the season, and that's okay. I mean, it, it, it could happen, but losing to Kansas at any, at any point is not acceptable at all. And the, it's, a, it's been a weird game. There's been years where it's been close. I think the, the broadcast, the TV broadcast was saying uh, three out of the last four years was decided by six points or less, and that includes really good teams. So it's an odd, it's an odd matchup, except for last year when Kenny Hill went to town on them. They got what? And the defense held them to 21 yards, I think, total. Um, <laughs> yeah, shut, so, shut out last year. Yeah, and then – this this is just it's sad. I mean, I was pretty messed up until about halfway through today, and I started perking up. Um, yeah, yeah. There's, when you disinvested in something, disinvested in something, it just it ruins everything. This is just awful. <laughs> Well, when you show up to podcast, and you know, I know it takes you an hour to get the show online, Daniel, and we do some prep work, and uh, it takes us over an hour to record. Yeah, invested is the way to put it, and then and in the heart and soul and fans. And I know it's difficult; it can't be any as difficult as it is for the players and the staff, et cetera, et cetera. I respect all of that, but yeah, this is bottomed out. This is as bad as it's been in terms of one game loss. And you said it in the context of this season. Right now, the Frogs have one Power 5 win all season. They have a win over Southern, they have a win over SMU, and they have a win over Iowa State. If the Frogs had not beaten Iowa State, or if they had played Iowa State in you know later in the year, I don't think the Frogs have a Power 5 win. And they're, they're sitting there with two wins. But as it is, the Frogs have three, and they have a big L from Kansas. There's no way to spin it. There's no way to shine it up. Jeremy, you've covered this team for a long time. Is this about as bad as it gets? Yeah, I think in the the new age of uh, you know P five and G five and and TC joining the Big Twelve, yeah, this is this is as bad as it gets. I, I think everyone, um, first of all, we were all wrong, and I'm not just talking about me, you, and Daniel, and and, and I'm j- I'm just talking everybody. I mean, every every uh, media person I spoke with uh, back in July after they they see Coach P and the players at Big Twelve Media Days, I've got had so many phone calls that this is the second best team in the big 12. They're really going to give Oklahoma a run for their money. You know, after I talked to coach P, I feel really solid about this team. Everyone was wrong. Everyone couldn't have been 
just so wrong in this. And even after the Ohio State game, we were all thinking, okay, well, this this team right here, they're gonna they're gonna give Oklahoma a run for their money, uh, and, and this is a team to watch out for in the title game. But here we are. Yeah, that was the third game of the season. They're now three and five. Several weeks later, we're talking about a team that just lost to Kansas, and it they haven't hit rock bottom as a program. Okay, it, it's not rock bottom as a program, but as far as the season goes, yeah, this is rock bottom, and it kind of like Daniel said, it's it's unacceptable uh, as far as uh, you, you just don't lose to Kansas. I mean, if you're going to lose to Kansas, you better lose to them in basketball for crying out loud. That's, that's where you get, that's where you get, but it, it's, it's just the craziest thing, man. I mean, just, I told several people last week uh, that this would be a game to watch out for. And, and not because, not because I felt the offense was going to do bad. I thought the offense would do good. The offense did, and we'll get into that later. The offense did, what I pretty much thought they would do, but I saw something in the defense that kind of worried me against Oklahoma, but I, I, I didn't think they were going to do as bad as they did, but just, and as Daniel said earlier is no matter what, even when they've had good teams, Kansas, for whatever reason, with the exception of last year, always gives them heck. And I, I don't know what it is, but yeah, this is uh this is about as bad as it gets for me. As far as I'm um, just looking back since 05, since covering the team, I, I can't ever recall, a loss that's this bad. That's the first uh, that ends a 38 game losing streak for Kansas in the month of October. Just picture that for a second. And then the frogs have uh, will will go O for October. The frogs have yes. not won a game in October for the first time in the Gary Patterson era. You know, like I said, when we kick this off, we record. Uh, we try to record every Sunday night. We had some storms and some uh, AT and T internet issues that kind of kicked us back a day or two a couple of times this season, but. We aim to do this every Sunday night, and I, I tried when we started this. I really tried to be ahead of the curve so that when you got in your car on Monday morning, this show was you know right there on your phone. I know we have some other good TCU podcasts that do it in the middle of the week. I always thought we had a leg up because we do it on Sunday night. They had a leg up on us last week doing it in the middle of the week because what what an eventful week leading up to this game. You have Cavante Turpin that's arrested. We wake up, I literally wake up to that, not wake up, but by mid-morning, I see the news that he's arrested. We know that there's yeah. a whole bigger story to that. We go to the Tuesday press conference. Sean Robinson is out for the season with season-ending injury. Cavante Turpin is kicked off the team for not one, but two domestic violence uh, arrests. He has a bench warrant out for his arrest in the state of New Mexico. All of that stuff uh, just kind of dominated the 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 timeline of, of my news feed of, of what had to be going on, not only on campus, but in the locker room, I, you know, the coach is getting asked, when did you know this? When did you know that? We can, we can dig into that if you want to Jeremy, but man, you talk about a distraction. I never thought that that distraction, which is, is real, you know, like especially the issue of domestic violence of which I have zero tolerance for and glad that coach Patterson kicked him off the team. I didn't think it would distract him this much. I didn't think it would be the thing that would throw them off their rocker to where they couldn't make an open field tackle and would lose to Kansas. Do either, you, either you guys think that what went on this week uh, was, uh, was like a millstone around their neck that was just going to prevent them from winning this game. Cause that, that surprised me. That surprised me. I think as far as preparation practice and stuff like that, it, it, it might've had some effect, but by the time Saturday rolls around and those guys are on the field and they're playing against a, an opponent, I don't think they're thinking in the back of their heads, crap, I didn't make that tackle because of what I heard about Cavante. You know, it just, I, I don't think these college kids think of that like that. Um, it, 
I don't think it had a big effect on the way they played on Saturday. Um, now, of course, it you know when, when they're talking at practice or talking in team meetings, film, whatever. I mean, obviously, they're going to talk about it, um, and and that could have had something to do with their preparation. But again, I'll I'll get into this later when I talk numbers with you guys. But it didn't seem to bug them on defense in the first half, and uh, the offense either. I mean, they they had they they had a a big, uh, a, a, a big uh, amount of yards over over Kansas in the first half. So, unless they brought up the news during halftime, <laughs> which I don't <laughs> think they did, uh, I, I I don't think it had too much of an effect on them. That's just my personal opinion. Maybe on a Tuesday, maybe on that Tuesday, Wednesday, but leading up to Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and especially during the game on Saturday, I I can almost guarantee you 100% that none of those players are thinking about, wow, I wish Sean was out here. Wow. I wish Turpin was returning kicks and that's going to affect the way I play. It it, it just doesn't. Well, not to do a huge sidebar onto Turpin here, but I wanted to follow up with you, Daniel, because I know that you devour, you devour message boards in a way that I really envy. I kind of, I kind of respect your game, but do you think coach Patterson handled this? Well, I know it was a distraction. I know it was, it, it's not a distraction. It's a it's a legal incident. It's a legal situation regarding um, an unfortunate incident, multiple unfortunate incidents. Do you think Coach Patterson handled that well to the best that you were able to follow along with? I think so. Uh, I don't know what else you can do. Um, it, if that's their standard procedure is to use whatever that site is that gave them their report that only mentioned the property damage, and that's what they've always done, then they haven't done anything deceptive uh i don't see them doing that at all um he's a great player but he's not that so great that we have to protect him somehow and we're not the type of program to do that in any way and uh i would not be a fan if that turned out to be the case um so and i and i think uh a certain bum for the Fort Worth Star Telegram has a serious axe to grind and needs to shut up and go away. I can't believe you talk about Bud Kennedy like that. No need. (laughs) 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 Yeah. The one comment I have on that is, well, two, I'm a preacher. I have more than one comment. Number one, you know, Pre, you know, current behavior is best dictated by previous behavior, and you see that Devonte Fields and Ladarius Brown, both impact players, Brandon Carter kicked off the team, not brought, not allowed back. I would have really liked Ladarius. Uh, I would really like uh, Devonte Fields to be rushing the passer in the fourth quarter against Baylor in 2014 when the defense is getting gassed. It would have been nice to have the preseason All Big 12 player on the field. That. Not to boil it all down to that, but he probably cost himself that game. You know, Patterson probably uh, removed a player, rightfully so, from the program that that had an impact on their ability to close out that game. So, I, you know, previous behavior says if you cross this line for Coach Patterson, you're going to be gone. So I agree with that, and that that's what makes me trust Coach Patterson on that. That said, there's somewhere there is clearly a breakdown of of research. And if, uh, if that's what, what popped up, um, that's good that they were acted on what they knew, but somebody's going to have, they're going to have to, they're going to end up creating another layer of follow-up from this. All, all, uh, bureaucracy is created because of one screw up, but they're, 
something slipped through the cracks and that doesn't mean that it was malicious, but it clearly happened. And the reason that I support things like title nine and the reason that, you know, you can have a second chance, but just not have it at that university is because the university has a higher calling. They have a higher priority and a higher mission statement than winning football games. And that is to protect their students. And being a football player is not a right. It is a privilege. And if you violate that privilege, there are serious consequences to that that has less not not much to do with wins and losses, but advancing the mission of the university. So if uh, I don't think they brought Cavante Turpin back in the hopes that no one would find out, but I do think that somebody could have found out to do a little extra work. And I don't hold that against anybody. I just think it's probably uh, another uh, deep dive they're going to have to do to slow that process down and make sure that every outlet of communication has been exhausted so that they can get to the bottom of incidents like that. Because fact of the matter is he should not have played it down this year. And I don't think he would have played it down this year if they would have known about that. Do you do you agree with that, Jeremy? Oh, yeah. If, if, if they had known, uh, if they were full, fully aware of what happened back in March, he, he would have been gone. He would have been gone from the program. There's no way that Gary keeps keeps that on his squad. There's just no way. No. No, I agree with you. I agree with you, and I, I agree with you because of what I've seen in the past. So I agree with you because of what I've seen in the past. I agree. All right, well, go ahead, Daniel. One, one quick thing that kind of I don't like. I feel like, you know, when you kick someone like Devontae Fields off the, off the team, that was – uh, how far into the season was that? It was preseason. It was in the, I think it was late summer. I think it was okay. late summer. Yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. Okay. Um, I feel like Gary caught 10 times more flack because the team was not performing worth the crap. And you kick Turpin off when you're winning. For some reason that feels like it's okay. But if you're losing, then, Oh, you're just, you're harboring him and all these people are out to, I mean, it's been, I don't know. I've been all over the internet and a lot of people are really unfair to a lot of things, but I guess that's what the internet is now. So I I don't know. I've, it's been a rough couple of weeks. The best thing I (laughs) I could give you, Daniel, is stay off other, other uh, teams, websites, especially Baylor, because they're just waiting in the bushes and they're, they're loving the fact that this is out there. And there's not one Baylor fan that's going to believe that Gary Patterson didn't know the full extent of oh, everything yeah. back in March. So just no, I, take the advice. I, I haven't gone anywhere else. Okay. I'm talking about TCU fans. Oh, okay. Yeah. And that's how bad it is, but no, definitely. I, I de- I'm not going anywhere near Baylor site. Um, <laughs> Your ISP has been banned from uh, Baylor fans and from Baylor. Oh, from yeah. Sikkim.com. <laughs> you know, but it, <laughs> right. it probably has been to be honest. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's, I'd be naive to believe that they didn't have, any knowledge of this whole thing. And I'm not saying the people that don't believe Gary Patterson are wrong. I, I, I see where they're coming from. Okay. It's very, it's very hard, especially when the, you know, lost Crucis comes out and say, they don't know how in the heck TCU didn't know, but um, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to dog. I'm not going to dog those people for believing what they want to believe. But the point of the matter is Terp's gone and won't have any, uh, I don't think we'll have, much excitement in the kick return game this year. No, Turp is gone. Turp is gone. Well, uh, awkward transition here. Turpin is gone, and so is Sean Robinson. And that means that Michael Collins got his first uh, Power 5 start, his first division or FBS start. Michael Collins goes out there and has his first game, gets to open on the road. Um, 
you know, for a lot of people that were calling for uh, Collins to get in there and play, he, he kind of proved them right there in, in in the Oklahoma game before he ripped his thumb open. He came out there and he, he gave them the spark that the, the team needed. As we said, you can tell on the sidelines that everybody was excited to get him out there and the defense responded to it. But he still had to go make his first road start. And even though it was Kansas, it's still your first road start and you're going to have some hiccups. But at the same time, I was really pleased with what Michael Collins was was able to do. There were clearly, uh, you know, two key turnovers that came at the worst possible time, at the worst possible spot on the field. But, Jeremy, what was your assessment of Michael Collins from his first start as a Horned Frog? I thought he was excellent. I mean, I I thought he went out there, and I did, did a story on it on Sunday that said he was one of the very few bright spots in that game. And, it was expected, okay? Kansas had Kansas had one of the worst defenses in the Big 12. There was a pretty good idea that TCU was going to be able to move the football, but for him making his first start, it just goes to show that what we saw last week wasn't a fluke, okay? He did well, not great, did well. I mean, he led them to four scoring drives. He didn't have the, the best of numbers going 7 of 17 against OU, but I'm telling you, anyone that watched that game and, and just – the buzz around the press box, everyone was kind of like, man, they could have used this kid against Texas Tech or they could have used this kid against Texas. I mean, just he did play against Texas late. But the thing about it was, is he was he was making some really, really good throws. And what impressed me the most about him throughout the day was his composure. And when you look back at, at some of the third down completions that he had, and they had at one point they had a third and 17 and he throws the, the play before he throws it to Rager and it was a little bit behind him. It hit Rager's hands, but he dropped it. And so they, they, they go back to the exact same play because Rager was so wide open and he, and he fires a dart and he gets 19 yards. And that, and that was a first down, but late in the game, they're, they're driving. It, it wasn't here. Here's the, here's the thing right now. And, and you guys that listen, you guys that Jeff and Daniel, you can disagree if you want, but this was really the first game where, I saw TCU had a deficit that I wasn't worried that they wouldn't go down and score. You know what I mean? I th- this whole this whole year you were like, well, there's no the offense, man. You're nervous as heck. You're on pins and needles. Can Sean make the right decisions? And can he lead the team down the field? And this was the first game where I felt like they're going to go right down the field because they've done it almost the whole game. And sure enough, he did, and he made some really great throws on that drive. Um, Probably the most impressive was that third nine that he hit Barber on the left sideline, and he threw it to a spot where only Barber could get it, and and that gave them great field position. To but fortunately, a couple plays later, we have the butt fumble. But I thought overall that he he made really good, really good decisions. He did throw an interception, but you got to think a few series before they did that same exact play to Devalence Hunt, and it got twenty one yards, and so. I don't know if that – it was just a, a really, really good play by the linebacker uh, for Kansas to read that play and, and know that's where the ball was going to be. But that was one of the few times that the defense actually stood their ground and they only gave up three points. They they held Kansas to a field goal. But I thought overall, if I was to grade Michael, I would definitely give him a B-plus because he really did – uh, a really good job spreading out the ball. He threw for 351, and I think overall that helped the running game a little bit. Didn't help him a whole lot, but I did. I do think that with his ability to throw the, the ball downfield, and he had some good runs as well, uh, I, 
I think overall, man, you, you gotta, you gotta scratch your head and think, I mean, where was, where was he at a few games ago where they could have, they could have used him, but that's, that's their decisions to make. And, you know, we got to sit back as onlookers and speculate everything. Michael Collins goes 23 of 33, 70, complete 70% of his passes, as you said, 351 yards, one touchdown, one interception, and only took uh, one sack. QBR comes in at 163. That's the best performance of the year by any TCU quarterback. That's better than any performance that Sean Robinson was able to put up, not the least of which was that 70% completion rated, or 70, uh, 70% completion. Uh, it's at 23 of 33. Yeah. So, I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. I'll give you probably a B. And the thing that would bump it up to the B plus was he knew when to pull the ball and, and run right into the end zone. Yeah. Like I, I, I was really impressed in what he was able to do. He had those two rushing touchdowns. He knew how to use his legs wide. Now he's not going to beat Sean in a 40 yard dash, but he, he knew what to do inside inside there. He might, but he knew more importantly, he knew how to get his shoulder square, get up the field, yeah. and get the ball in the end zone. And that's a that's a that's a skill that is is not always easily measured. But he was able to put that on display against Kansas. I was really pleased with what Michael Collins did. From from people I've spoken with, he he's very deceptive. He's the the one thing they say about the speed con, uh, compared to Sean is he doesn't get up to his top speed as fast as Sean does. But they're mm-hmm. very comparable speed wise. But here's a number for you. <clears throat> so when Mike came in against OU, they've they've had 19 drives. Uh, between the OU and Kansas game. And he's led them to eight scores out of those 19. But on one of those against Oklahoma, they missed a field goal. And then you had the first drive against Kansas on Saturday where they couldn't pl- they couldn't punch it in from one yard out with Shawo in at Wildcat. And then you had the uh, butt fumble. So – you you score some points there. That's eleven of nineteen scoring drives. That's you're basically scoring fifty eight percent of the time. And I'm sorry. I mean, I, I haven't gone back and looked at all the drives that Sean was in, but I know that number is higher than what Sean has produced. And I'm not trying to create a controversy or anything like that. But I think it's it, it'd be childish um, to try to say that Collins hasn't provided a spark um, to this team. I mean, you're 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 testing. Uh, people that are pretty smart watching football and, and anyone can see that this this offense is moving better with Collins under center and that's not a knock on Sean I'm just pointing out the obvious it's it's right there in black and white go home and do the homework and run the numbers I think annoying group of 20 likes those charts so I think he can I think I'll give him a homework assignment yeah get on that buddy get on that Daniel, you, like I, were really looking for a quarterback change and hoping that Michael Collins could come in and light it up, and it seems as if he has. Uh, what what are you going to grade Collins in this game against Kansas? I mean, obviously he had a high percentage com- uh, completion rate. Obviously he was able to move the ball better than Sean has in the past, but at the same time, you're still looking at 27 points. You can talk about the missed field goal. You can talk about the butt fumble, but you're still talking about 27 points. How are you going to grade Sean Rob- or How are you going to grade Michael Collins after this game? I think if it wasn't for that weird interception, I would go A minus. And because of that, he gets dropped to a B plus. Um, because that was just, it was, it was bad. Oh man. And, but, but it was, I thought, I thought he was great. Yeah. And like Jeremy said, yeah, it's Kansas, but it's still his first road start and his first start 
uh, I think. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know how what else, you know, you can look for. I, I was, I was so thrilled when we finally brought him in against Oklahoma and I feel like the Oklahoma game would have gone way differently if he had started against Oklahoma or maybe some games before I, I don't understand the Sean Robinson thing. I like Sean. I think he's pretty good, but he's just not there yet. And, and Mike who are they the same age or is he older? He's one year older. He would be one year older. Okay. That's what I was thinking. So, and obviously, a guy from Penn, he's going to be smart, but that doesn't necessarily equate to, you know, sports smart, football smart. Um, but he's got it. He's got something, and he can throw it. He can run it. Uh, he knows when to run it. And um, I, I was, I was just, you know, it. What, what we're going to get into is um, how we actually lost the game, and that was not Michael Collins. Can I give you some numbers real quick, Jeff? Well, I was just getting ready to give you the floor. I know you put together some numbers, and we've we've spent enough time, you know, looking at the problems of the offense as well as highlighting some things that went right. But I wanna I wanna transition off what Daniel said. Give us give us those numbers and tell us what lost oh, us the game. This is still Mike. No, this, if you got some other this, numbers, this go is, ahead. This go is ahead. still right. Mike. I don't want to. We'll get to why I think they lost the game, <laughs> and I think I think you're gonna have the same opinion. But Mike had nine completions of over 15 yards in that game, nine completions for over 15 yards. And let's not forget, there was one particular drive where he put the ball right on the money over the middle. Jarrison Stewart dropped the football, and then they had another third down and long play. He throws it right to Meeking, goes right through his hands. Yeah. You can't you can't put that – you can't put that drive on Michael Collins. You can't put that drive on Sonny Cumbie. I mean, th- those are those are the plays where you have to execute, and this will go into this will segue right into our next topic of uh, the struggles on Saturday. Is I don't think you can blame this game on TCU's offense and Cumby. So you don't think that all of the energy, all of the message board threads about how we need to change offensive coordinators, fire Sonny Cumbie, do a serious staff shakeup. I saw people bad-mouthing Curtis Looper and how we need to let him go. You don't think that's the that's the problem with this team right now? <laughs> let me t- <laughs> man, I'm some, teeing you some up. Pe- some people, man. <laughs> let me tell you something. If you lose Cumbie and you lose Looper, you lose two of your top recruiters right there off the top. R- right, right off the top. Offensive, oh, recru- yeah. offensive recruiters especially. Um, and let me tell you, if I told you, Jeff, TCU is going to have 500 yards of offense, they're going to outgain Kansas by almost 200 yards. Michael Collins is going to throw for 350. Okay. That's, that's what the fans wanted to see. They wanted to see some movement, throwing the ball downfield. I just told you guys, he had nine completions of 15 yards or more. That's, that's pretty should've good. Had two yeah. Should have had two more, two drops by Jerison Stewart and, and Meeking. Uh, guess who had? Guess who, yeah, yeah, guess who had twenty carries? Darius Anderson had twenty carries. Okay, so combine those things. If I told you all those things right there, Jeff, Michael Collins would throw for three fifty. He'd have one turnover. Darius would rush twenty times. I won't include the butt fumble. Does TCU win? You're saying yes, ten out of ten times. But what? Absolutely. But what if I told you 
What if I told what you? What if I told you? What if I told you? <laughs> Kansas had the most yards through the air that they've had all season against the league's number one pass defense. Oh, I would tell you firing Doug Meacham was a good move by David Beatty. Yeah. So let's go, let's go into the numbers real quick. Cause I'll, cause I'll give you some stuff that I jotted down. Okay. So we know anyone that watched that game knows that TCU could not get off the field on third down. This is the defense nope. that was number one coming into the game on third down opponent, third down conversions. Okay. For whatever reason, they couldn't get off the field against Kansas. So Kansas, out of those 10 conversions they had, how many do you think were greater than seven yards? So they had third and seven. How many of those 10 conversions do you think were greater than seven yards? Oh, man. I, over 50%. Give it to me. What, what's them. the number? 70% oh. of those third down conversions were from third and seven or longer. Okay? So over – Third and seven and longer, they gave up seven first downs on yes. that. Yes. Okay. That's insane. They even on third and nine, third and nine gave up a play of eight yards. That's that's how bad luckily Kansas Kansas punted. But one of those conversions was a third and goal. And that's when Peyton Bender scrambled all the way around. You know how many yards Peyton Bender had coming into that game? Rushing the football? How many? Negative, I don't even know. He had no positive yards this whole year. Negative, Gosh. negative, he had negative. Someone could go and look at stats, but he had, neg, he even had negative 18 overall against TCU after he got sacked so many times. But that was the, that was one of those plays where they had a third and 11. And here goes Peyton Bender rushing for 12 yards for the first down. That's what kind of day it was for the defense. And, this guy had 67 yards passing at halftime. Okay, TCU led 10 to 7. We want to talk about halftime adjustments, and TCU is, I think, led four of the five games at halftime and or lost four of the five. I don't know what the exact stat is, but they've lost the game in the second half. Okay, defense didn't adjust. They ended up throwing – Peyton Bender ended up throwing for 182 yards in the second half. His 249 yards through the year – was his best performance of the year against Gosh. against the league's top pass defense. Kansas was only averaging 186 yards through the air before that game. 186 yards. Okay, so here's here's what drove a lot of people nuts that were watching this game. the the first The first drive of the first half and the first drive they got in the second half. Any you guys want to take a guess? How many plays and how many yards that totaled? Oh, it it had to be a hundred and fifty yards, wasn't it? You're you're right there. Twenty two plays, eleven plays on each drive, a hundred and fifty two total yards. Seventy seven on the first drive, seventy five on the second. That defense is softer than the Clark Hall toilet paper my freshman year. I mean, it, that's a one-ply well, defense well, right here's, there. Here's that what the problem was. The, the rush defense did a great job. They only allowed Kansas 58 yards on the ground. This this was yeah. done through the air. This this was done through the air. Linebackers mismatched. They're, they're on an island that they don't even know where they're going. I mean, there were several times receivers. Puka Williams was wide open 
on one play that he oh. basically started walking and started juking before TC even got there. That was a pretty funny play, by the way. But most importantly, they were five for five on third down conversions on those two drives. Five for five. Jeez. Okay. The, the, uh, the big thing that really got to me as far as looking at the defense, when TCU goes up 24 to 20, they, they kick off and Kansas starts at their own 21 yard line. And they methodically drive down the football field again and go 79 yards. That's the drive where they had Williams wide open, did a little dance, started juking before TCU even gets to him. And that, that just looked like a blown coverage to me. I mean, that's how wide open he was. And then that's the one where they had the big third and 11 and Bender rushes for 12 yards. And if he doesn't get that, mm-hmm. If he doesn't get that, they're they're kicking a long field goal or they're or they're punting. Well, the very think the very next player, maybe the play after, he throws it to Puka Williams. Uh, Trayvon misses the tackle. Garrett Wallow overruns the pursuit. He just takes the wrong angle, and then Puka Williams shows why he's already one of the most explosive players in the Big Twelve. He easily walks into the end zone. Of course, everyone thought he fumbled before he crossed the line. Um, but replay showed that he didn't. But that's that's the kind of stuff you're looking at. But here here's the one thing, the one play where the defense just – I'm, I'm not going to put everything on the defense, but this particular play is basically what ended the game for them. You have a minute 11 uh, – one minute 11 seconds to go in the game. This is after they recovered Darius's fumble. They get a two-yard gain on first down. GP, you know how everyone knows how he likes to hold his timeouts. So you're good. You got a minute 11. You got three timeouts. Michael Collins has drove the field the whole time. TCU's going to get the ball back, and they're going to. They're Michael's going to drive him right back down the field. Second and eight, they give up a ten-yard yeah. run. That's yep. ball game. That's essentially ball game right there. Now everyone's going to say, no, it's not because they didn't. They should have fell on the onside kick. No, I mean, no. everyone everyone that watched that game, if you didn't watch that game, obviously you don't read lips good because everyone that watched that game, even even people that were in the press box are like, man, you, you, can, you know he's telling just fall on the ball because the clock won't start if they, they just fall on the ball. But that that's kind of the defense in the, the nutshell. Here's the thing there. When you are taking out all margin of error through defensive mistakes – you can't pin it on anything else. It, it, when you put yourself in that position against Kansas yeah. to where we have to have every single thing break your way, you're, you've already lost. You've already lost. Yeah. lost. And so, you know, I, 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 I'm going to go ahead and agree with you here on this defense. I, I got two things about offense that I, that I one of the, to agree with you and another one to kind of be a counterpoint. One is the Frogs punted twice. Yep. And this goes back to you running through all these stats. What if I told you that Michael Collins threw for 351 and Darius had 20 carries and Jalen Rager had 177 yards receiving and the Frogs only punted twice? You would say, oh, they've won the game. You know, there's no way they would lose that game. But, it, it, you know, every time that they needed to make a stop on third down, and like you said, we're not talking about third and three. We're not talking about third and three where they get that final push to make it third and you get pick up three and a half yards. These are third and longs that the Frogs consistently, 70% of the time, were giving it up. 
And so the you know they put themselves in that strong position by only having to punt twice, but then they just couldn't stop. The defense couldn't go out there and do their job. So I was pleased with the offense of only having to punt once, so I agree with you on that. But here's where I'm going to come back at you. Can we kill the wild frog? <laughs> I, I agree with because you there. I do agree with you there. When, when Michael Collins goes and lines up at wideout, guess what? Don't even put a guy on him. Yeah. Just I mean, like that. That is so tired. I like everyone knows. Even in previous games this season, where they have run it, and Shaywo gets one and a half yards on fourth and one, that's still a bad call because there's there's no deception, there's no ability to you know to flare a guy out that if he gets tackled, it's, it's first down because he picked up four, and if they blow coverage, he's taking it to the house. That is not a good call. And what there's. I can I can run a defense that could stop the wild frog at this point because guess what Shaywo's going to run it and you just put eleven in the box and, and and dare them if he throws it then you're trusting a running back to make a throw and we should not be in that position to have to do yeah. that now we can go back to what we talked about about the deficiency of the offensive line and some struggles on that end but that's a play that just needs to go away because that's a touchdown they left on the board and that's a touchdown that they needed and if you can't get fourth and one against Kansas you do not deserve to win yeah part of that. <clears throat> the thing with with that whole scenario down there close to the goal line is they threw a fade which i don't i don't mind that play they threw two goal line fades and i'm tired of it i do mind it well here's here's the thing you're you're at least throwing it to a guy who had eight catches for 177 yards and let's not forget let's not forget what he looked like last year catching the hell mary against smu we know we know Jalen's only six foot but he can jump like a six six guy i mean he he jumps out of the ceiling but i'm with you on the wild frog um I, that particular play call is not something i would have ran at the goal line now i'm not going to be the armchair game caller and say i know a play that would have worked better than what Sonny called i mean he's obviously in that position no, i don't he's obviously in that position i don't know a, a better reason. play but i know that play would but here's another run. thing if i'm not mistaken i have it uh, through my travels i haven't had a chance to rewatch the game but I think they ran the wild frog later in the game and they got, they had like a three yard, four yard gain. Um, but that's one thing I want to mention about the offense. And, you know, people are starting threads, fire coming, this and that. No. He didn't run anything that was crazy and out of the ordinary. What? So you're going to, you're going to take no. the, hold on, I'll see if I, if I can see how many plays they ran total. They ran third, they, Rushed the ball 33 times or 39 times, threw it 33. So what's that? 72 plays, 72 plays. Mm-hmm. And the wild frogs really the only play at the goal line that I could think of that. I was like, man, I wish they wouldn't have called that play. I wish they wouldn't have called that play right there. So you're for me out of 72 plays they ran. If, now, if someone else wants to come back and say, well, these are 10 plays that I didn't like. And don't give me the ones where Darius Anderson is running to the left and gets tackled for a four-yard loss because his line didn't block. Send me the plays that no. you did not like. Like, they were crazy play calls. Send me that stuff. If you want to back up saying fire someone, let's see some evidence of why he needs to be fired. Okay? that Just, you know, just like someone posted, he's not the one that's out there not catching the football. He's not the one fumbling the football. Sonny Cumbie's not perfect. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna defend him and say that he is. But out of those 72 plays, get give me give me 10 plays. Hell, give me five plays that didn't involve your offensive line not blocking or uh 
a fumble happening or an interception happening. Because I'll tell you what, like I said earlier, that screen pass that they tried to throw that got intercepted, they got 21 yards on it a few plays before. And guess what? If that linebacker's not there, they probably score an 80-yard touchdown right there. I mean, it was set up perfectly. The offensive line didn't get out there to block that linebacker in time. Lucas Niang did not get out there and block him quick enough. So, No, I want to – yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. I know I kind of sounded like I was on a rant, but I I can agree with you. I don't see – I don't feel like this is – I feel like this is the best offensive play calling that Sonny's had since the Iowa – since since that pivotal moment in the Texas game. Uh, You know, since since the first – you know, since the Ohio State-Texas game, first half I feel like Sunday actually did a pretty good job calling this game no I don't have any massive overhaul that I can call for in terms of play calling in terms of of personnel or staff uh you know maybe personnel I I guess I'll say this this is kind of a hot take I I, you know some of these seniors uh maybe maybe let's just go ahead and go with the young guys you know I don't know you know do you roll with you know, I, I even feel uncomfortable dropping the names. Do you, do you keep rolling with Jarrison Stewart? He's got the drops. Do you or do you or do well, you roll with a, a younger guy and say, "Hey, let's let's get him out there." He did. And see what he did. Ha- that's that's the one thing is like people sometimes magnify things greater into what they really are. Yes, Jarrison, Jarrison did did drop a key pass, but that pass is not the reason why they lost. He also had some good catches, which is another thing I liked about Mike is because two of the two of those plays uh, on one of the scoring drives, Kansas is coming with the blitz, and Mike did such a great job of finding the hot route, and one play went to Barber and another play went to Jay Stu, but that was something that, you know, I'm sitting next to Gil and John Henry and Drew, and we're like, man, Sean probably doesn't see that before he makes that throw. I mean, he, he probably doesn't recognize that. And, and that's the difference that you, that you saw with uh, Michael, but it's, it's one of those things that I agree with Jeff and I don't think you're dogging the offense at all. You and I are on the same page, the wild frog at the goal line when it's fourth and one. Yes. Every single, the 6,000 fans at Kansas that uh, on Saturday knew <laughs> that Shaywo was getting the ball and he was running it. Okay. Let's, let's, let's be honest here, but, the overall play calling and you get the fire cumby threads on our side. And then yeah, whatever you guys were talking about before the show on KFC, uh, that's, that's I, I, at least if you're going to make, if you're going to make those, those kind of suggestions, at least say why. I mean, because if this was the game, this, if this was the game that the offense didn't lose, if, if there was a game this year, the offense didn't lose, it was this game. This is probably the only game that you could say all year long that, well, TCU didn't lose because of the offense. And that's out of eight games. And I'm being realistic here. I'm, so I'm agreeing with you guys on seven times. Yeah, the offense, is, the offense could have done a lot better or out of the five losses they have, four of them you could really blame on the offense. Okay? But this one, I, you just can't. You, how do you give up? Okay. Yes, Mike threw that interception, but you know how many yards that Kansas got out of that drive when he threw that interception? Zero. You, the points they got a field goal out of it. Okay, let's not let, let's not distract the fact that out of three other drives TCU had that Kansas scored on, they gave up 231 yards in three drives: 77, 75, and 79 yards. 
Yep. And so if you're looking at uh, the 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 two the two times they got into the red zone, got down to the goal line and didn't score, we had the wild frog, which we've kind of uh, you know beaten to death here. Hopefully in the playbook too. But we've also got the butt fumble. That's 14 points. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna give a pass to the missed kick because kicking is. I don't want to talk about it. Um, that's 14 points. That's that's enough to win the game, and that's enough for him to be like, oh, you know, Kansas put up a good fight, but Michael Collins went out and he put up 38 points, and they won yeah. the game. That's probably what it would have been. That that's probably what it would have been. It probably would have been, you know, it would have been 30, yeah, 38, 27, 38, 27, because you don't count the safety there. So. <laughs> That could have been a, a point of hey, the, they showed improvement. They got what they they got their legs underneath them against the struggling Kansas team, and then they're ready to kind of press down for the home stretch here. Here's so. the bad thing: I think <laughs> one I think last people thing. went into that game no matter if TCU would have won, if they would have scored 38 and Kansas scores 27, then they would have been on the defense. They would have been on the defense's case. But since TCU only scored 24 on offense, and then I'm not counting the safety. They only scored twenty four on offense. It's it's their fault that they lost. There there is there is no reason defensively when you look at look at everything on paper and you watch the games for both teams coming into this game, the way TCU has performed defensively, you held Iowa State to fourteen points. You held Texas Tech to seventeen points. Okay, <clears throat> you're you're doing something great on defense. I mean, you've held out of all their opponents this year. I think with the exception of Oklahoma, they held all of their opponents to less yards that they averaged leading up to the game and less points. So the defense has done – and they even did a good job defensively overall yardage-wise, but they just couldn't get off the field when it mattered the most. Three drives, 231 yards, and I think they they ended up totaling uh, 307 for the day. So out of the other drives that that they had, they get over or just uh, over seventy yards total on all the other combined drives they have, and hopefully this is enough evidence for people to understand that this, as well as the defense has played all year long, and as much as TCU can hang their hat on having a good defense and and even keeping them in the games, this was the the one time out of the five losses that you really got to. Tip, you know, tip your hat to the offense. Hey, you guys did your thing. Defense, you've got to play better. And that's that's my opinion. I mean, and, and I think the numbers back it up. No, I agree with you. This is just the last comment I have on, on our assessment of the game. Uh, the guy I was actually most pleased with in this game is Tay Barber. Five receptions, 75 yards. I, I have been looking for him yep. to really kind of take a next step and – when when you next season when you can have Jalen Rager and Tay Barber out there, that's going to be a really deadly combo. So we're we're looking at that hole that Turpin probably left with his poor life choices. Really proud of the game that Tay Barber had, and um, you know he was second on the team in re- in receptions and receiving yards. And I think he's probably going to continue to to have the ball thrown to him as as this season progresses and winds yeah, down. Yeah, I was that that's that I looked at that when I saw the stats and I looked at the guys in the press box said, man. Tay actually had a pretty good game. He quietly had a good game because everyone was focused on Jalen Rager's eight catches for 177 yards. But yeah, you're right. That's that's a that's a good point to make because when you're missing Turpin, you had to have someone step up, and Tay did a great job. 
Well, one last question here to recap this game. It's, we, we did kind of an assessment of, of where the Frogs were last week, so I kind of want to ask one question going forward. Daniel, I'm going to start with you. If you could make one change, let's say you were kind of uh, the football, the TCU football czar here for a week. If you could make one change going into this K-State game, and don't say turnovers, what's the one change that you would make going forward that you think would help this team uh, improve at the end of the season? Fire Cumby. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, oh, man, you've put me on the hot seat indeed. Um, gosh, I don't know because I don't know what you can do with the defense. I don't know what you can do. Um, I have a feeling Bill Snyder is going to work them over pretty good. Um Let's see. The offense, I was okay with. I mean, there's a couple of hiccups, but um, I don't know, man. I, I hadn't thought about it. I've been depressed. I've been, <laughs> I've been just reeling. I've been busy. Um, it's a busy time of year uh, for me in the work, uh, the workspace. Uh, so I'm gonna pass. You're gonna pass. I approve. I, you know what? I approve. Jeremy, real quick, what change? Would, what one change would you make? I would say uh, less rotation for the receivers. Um, let those guys hang in there, get their get their rhythm going. Let Mike get a rhythm with with the receivers. I think Jalen and and Tay have have stepped up, but I, I think we need to see other guys step up. I it, I'm sitting there watching. I'm sorry, I don't want to give a long answer, but. When I'm when I'm watching, <laughs> yeah, me not giving a long answer. Uh, when I'm watching, when I'm watching Jalen Austin, he lines up and, and listen. I'm not going to talk smack about Jalen Austin. It's just like he's out there, but he's not being utilized. But I don't think he's not being utilized because he's just not really a great player right now. When I see him in single coverage and the corners playing off eight or nine yards, if that's John Diars. They're throwing it to them. I mean, you you know, it's like they completely. If you look at all the big plays that happened, they all happened on the right side. Uh, Tay had Tay had a pretty good play, and and Tavalence Hunt had a a good play. If Kelton Hollins gets that block on on the linebacker, by the way, on Tavalence Hunt's catch, he probably goes the distance. Kelton was Kelton was late getting out there, but he gave it his he gave it his best. But yeah, that's that's the one thing. I think the receivers need to have less rotation, get get more of a rhythm. Um, and defensively, <laughs> you if a player's hurt, don't play him. I mean, it was so obvious that Jeff Gladney was not a hundred percent, and he he got beat worse in that game than I've ever seen him get beat in three years. And that's that just goes to show he wasn't completely healthy. I think that was at a point where you probably need to put. Noah Daniels or even Tony James in there and, and, and see what they could do. And, and if, if they're not, if those guys aren't healthy, especially in the secondary, don't put them out there. Don't put them out there. No, I think that's a pretty good summary. Cause you could tell that he was, he was, you know, he was not healthy. And then Nico small got banged up right and away. Ty again, Summers. And he was, I think, he was Ty, I, I think Ty, Ty not being out there kind of hurt him a little But Again, I don't think this, this game was as much on, uh, the front six, so to speak. I think it was more on the secondary. 
just giving up big plays. Don't, don't really only play that I could think of is uh, two plays I could think of where the linebackers and, and that the linebackers really involved was that Puka Williams catch. And then the, uh, the 12 yard, the, the Puka Williams catch where he was wide open. And then the 12 yard rush by Peyton Bender where there was no linebackers to be found. So I think that's uh, most, most of the, the most of the uh, defensive lapses were really in the secondary. Well, let's go ahead and transition here. I, I guess I, I guess I should give you mine real quick. Uh, don't don't kick any more field goals. Just go for it. That would be my one chance. <laughs> There's that head coach in Arkansas that never in a high school football that never punts, and I, I'd, I'd just like to take that approach with kicking field goals. Just go for it. Why not? Just go ahead and go for it. See what happens. So. Oh, man. Well, real quick here, we want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, Teen Life. You should go online to teenlife.ngo and find ways that you can support local junior high and high school students in DFW and beyond. They provide resources to junior high and high school kids so that they can be informed to make healthy decisions for their life and take responsibility for their future. A lot of you listeners, you make a lot more money than I do. You should look at the end of the year here to make a tax-deductible deductible donation to Teen Life, go online and they will provide all the resources that you have to not only volunteer, but to donate. And we are thankful for all the people that have supported this. We've had some questions that have come our way through this ad, and we hope that you're doing something to make a difference in your community like Teen Life is. Go find them at teenlife.ngo. Well, Jeremy, this was kind of your road trip. You just didn't go up to Kansas. You went up to Iowa to go see uh, TCU 2019 quarterback commit Max Duggan playing out there on the western plains of Iowa. Tell us a little bit about your trip and what you saw from Max. And, uh, you know, Daniel and I kind of freak out after every loss that we're about well, to I've lose. Well, I've got some you know, breaking news here, guys. And I hate to say okay. this, but Daniel <laughs> – Step away for a minute. I don't want you to hear this, but no, I'm just messing with you guys. Uh, no, it was, it was it was a good trip. It was uh, it was fun. And when I looked at the schedule, uh, and and I saw that they were playing in Lawrence, I immediately looked how far it was from uh, Lawrence to Council Bluffs, and it's not very far at all. And and I saw Max at the OU game and found out that they were going to be playing at home. And so I, I told him, I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to come up and watch you. I brought him bad luck immediately because he hadn't thrown an interception all year and he threw two of them. Uh, so it was it was one of those games where I was joking, nah, I'm not going to be coming back to any of these games. I, I, I'm, I'm bad. I'm uh, just bad juju. And it was funny talking to his, his dad, which is also the head coach, Jim uh, Duggan. He said, he said, well, you know, we, we made some mistakes tonight and, and this and that. And when you know, we let him hang around, I was like, coach, it, it's 51 to seven. And yeah, we left some points on the board, this and that. But you know, those, those, those folks up there were, were awesome. I mean, they were, they were first class and um, talked to several people and, and it was just great to visit with them. Great to watch Max. And, and he's really kind of in a league of his own when it comes to just overall players on the field. I mean, speed wise, he's, he's going to walk on and be the fastest quarterback on the, on the roster next year. And when he gets to campus in January, he's going to be, he's definitely going to be the fastest on that roster. Uh, Arm strength is there. He had some really good passes and it's funny talking to some of those guys on the sidelines, some of the, some of the guys around the program, not players or anything, it was, you know, boosters and stuff. And, just 
talking about Max and they were telling me stories about, you know, how they knew he was going to be really good even when he was a younger kid because here they are in Council Bluffs, but they were playing against great teams in Omaha and Max was even making great plays. Then I had another gentleman tell me how good of a baseball player Max was and could probably get a D1 college scholarship in baseball if he really uh, played baseball as well, but he just wanted to focus on football more. And it it's just funny listening to all the stories of, you know, how the receivers, the quarterback coach has to tell him sometimes to kind of, kind of hold back on some of your passes receivers can't catch. There's not very many receivers that will go warm up with them. That, and that's a fact. Uh, there's, there's only a select few that he's, he's got one receiver that's getting some college interest from uh, some FCS schools, including Abilene Christian, by the way, it's kind of cool to hear a, a Texas school was recruiting one of his teammates, but no, overall it was, huh. it was, it was really cool. I mean, just, just the atmosphere. The thing I love most about, the high school football in Iowa is apparently the coaches get a choice whether or not you're going to have the band and stuff on the field at halftime. So when we're down in Texas and and I apologize if you guys play band or anything, or you have family that plays band for someone that goes to high school football games and and some of these bands are great. Okay. I'm going to give credit where credit is due. You have a 30 minute halftime. Well, in Texas, I've never, ever, ever seen a 30 minute halftime. It always, always extends where the, the teams are waiting on the at the end zones. They're waiting for the bands to clear off the field, and then they come on. Some of those halftimes last 35 minutes, okay? That is a very, very long halftime. You know how long the halftime was the other day? Jeff, you played in Iowa. How long do you – I did. It's, I think it's 15-minute halftime, 15 isn't it? minutes, brother. 15 yep. minutes. Yep. And and I looked at the there, – there was no band. There, that That's the, the main difference I noticed right off the bat. There was no bands on – on either side uh, in, in the stands for either team. So that's something that I missed during the game um, because it's really cool to hear the bands play during the game, play their fight songs, get the crowd pumped up, whatever. Um, but it, as far as the, the, the chance from the, from the high school kids, it's, it's still the same. They still say the same thing up in Iowa that did down in Texas, but I had some people ask, you know, what, how would Max rank, if he, you know, if he was down here, how would the team rank? I, I think it's a pretty solid uh, D1, 4A school, maybe a D2, 5A competitive-wise. Uh, I think they would definitely be able to compete in, in districts uh, like Alito's district and stuff like that. They're, I'm not saying they're as good as Alito or anything like that, but they, they would be able to compete. I, I don't think they would win a state championship and they wouldn't be as tough uh, down here as they are up there. I mean, obviously there is a, there is a talent gap, but it, I, I think if Max was down here, he may be rated even higher just because of the competition he would face. And it, it's, it's very obvious that he is, he is a, a difference maker um, up there. I mean, the, the passes that he throws, the, his ability to, to escape. And, and the thing that I did, there was one play I didn't tweak because I didn't want to make the receiver look bad, but there was a play where Max got rushed and he just stepped up into the pocket so effort, effortlessly and launched a bomb and the receiver dropped it. But it was a perfect, I mean, it was a perfect pass to where only his receiver could catch it. The play would have been called back anyway because the, the, the right tackle held the defensive end that was about to blast Max. But the, the funny thing is that just Max seeing that at the last second and just kind of just 
oh, you thought you had me. I'm just going to juke you real quick, and then I'm going to launch a ball 45 yards downfield. Uh, but that's that's the kind of player he is as far as um, just just his pure ability. I think he'll have a chance to – I'm not going to come in here and say he's going he's gonna to start as a freshman. Everyone up there kind of has the idea of uh, – you know, probably be best for Max to to learn some and and, and red shirt. But it's it's funny how the quarterback situation looks at TC right now. If there's a position other than what we saw against Kansas, if there's a position that you would think that, hey, maybe a younger guy could come in and, and compete, it would probably be at quarterback just because there's so many unanswered variables right now with that position. But as far as him staying solid, uh I, I can report two things. I know Iowa State's – they love him. Iowa State wants him bad. Um, but the good thing is, and, and his dad even told me, is that Max doesn't want to stay close to home. He wants he wants to go off on his own. In fact, his brother's moving to Dallas, and he was kind of joking around saying, I thought I was getting away from family. That's not fair. And so he, he really loves TCU, loves Cumbie, loves – Loves the the small campus. Had a great time on his visit. They're going to come back uh, down in December for the Oklahoma State game. And right now, I mean, it, it he's just one of those kids. He reminds me of uh, the way that he doesn't remind me of Trayvon Boykin. Let's get that out there. He he, but his recruit his recruitment reminds me of that way because Boykin was kind of like whatever letter you get, coach, just throw it in the trash because I'm solid to TCU, and that's kind of been. Max's perspective on everything is that he's so solid to TCU that he's politely told other coaches, "Hey, listen, thanks for the interest, but I'm I'm setting where I'm going." But I mean, that's that's a key position. I, I think right now that uh, it it's tough because here you have TCU sitting at three and five, and there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to have that uh, to recruit against. I mean, it's it doesn't look good, especially with the offense, but. Max is a smart kid. He understands uh, that TCU has a young team, understands they have some injuries, and his relationship with Cumby is is what's helping him stay solid. And the fact that he knows he's a carbon fit for their offense and you know, he, he feels that he could play well in that offense. So just rest easy right now, TCU fans. I think he's, he's firm with everything. Now, I will say this uh, it, recruitment – is a funny thing sometimes. Sometimes the people you think are solid decommit sometimes, but I'm not putting Max in that category right now. I just want to get that out there. But TC fans uh, should be overjoyed to, to have this kid coming. That's a great write-up. That's a great summary there, Max. I, I did play high school football in Iowa, and that's all I'm going to say about it. I won't make you all listen through my glory days, but I can tell you that Council Bluffs, Council Bluffs Lewis is a powerhouse, and his dad is a well, well-regarded coach in the state of Iowa. I still have some buddies that play there, or that coach there, and their kids play there, and they know that they know that Max is the best player in the state. So I think you're probably right about it. if he was down in Texas, he would probably even be a higher rated quarterback. If he was playing if he was playing quarterback in Collin County, everybody would know who he is. And he would be yeah. a very highly well, rated I mean, four star. Everyone he, everyone in Iowa definitely knows that hey, who he is. And they've got another rematch against Harlan. They've got a rematch against Harlan this this uh upcoming week. One and, of the best programs in the state. Harlan is a is a yeah. that I was a kid. That is one of the best programs in the state. So. Well, they've had the same coach for forty-one years, yep. and he's the he's the coach when when Max they they played him earlier this year, and, and 
Lewis Central won 42 to 14 and mm-hmm. Max accounted for six touchdowns. And the coach was quoted as saying when the reporter asked him, Hey, this kid's beat you three out of four years. What do you think of him as a quarterback? How does he rank? And he, without hesitation, the coach said he's the best one I've ever played against. Yeah. Yeah, that's some serious ball. Harlan, that was that was 3A. It's it's technically 4A because it's A, 1A, 2A, 3A, 4A. But it's uh that's a, that's a, that's a good program and to to be able to blow out Harlan like that is a big deal. So, hopefully, he'll be able to cap off a a, a state championship in the Uni Dome. You guys know that University of Northern Iowa has a dome stadium and that's where they do their uh championship weekend like the like Texas does at Cowboy Stadium or, or at AT&T. So, that's kind of cool. I caught a See, I will tell you a story. I caught a screen pass in that in the Dome Stadium in Iowa and went for two yards. I was a <laughs> shutdown fullback. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> all right, let's move along here. I just want to wrap up with two things. Uh, we'll start with you, Daniel, because I know you were on the road, Jeremy. I just want to highlight the glory that was o- Oklahoma State, Texas. Did you get to see Mike Gundy go at it with uh, Tom Herman at midfield where Gundy was ready to take his shirt off and whip him, and uh, uh, Herman did the thing where he gets behind three guys to tell him to hold him, and then he starts acting like they're holding him back because that was the highlight of the weekend for me. I've seen about eight different tweets of that, and I just love them all. So did you get to see Texas officially not be back at Stillwater? Uh, I, I did. I didn't catch that part. I wish I did because I hate Tom Herman, and um, that's just more proof of what a little punk he is. And um, but no, that was a, that was a fun game, and I'm glad Oklahoma State got up early because Texas made a good comeback in the second half, and um, but not enough. So haha, uh, <laughs> so overranked. I mean, number so seven, Daniel. Yeah. This is college football. Helps no... you forget about the Kansas loss a little bit sooner, huh? Well, oh, it yeah. did, and, and of course, to start the football week, Baylor got blown away. <laughs> that was one of the biggest beat. That that looked like Baylor. What two thousand seven, two thousand five? I mean, was that... beautiful. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you I right think... now that that West Virginia Oklahoma game is gonna be good. I mean, that's – I can't wait to see that game. And Iowa it State, gonna, man, Iowa State just quietly keeps winning. I, I'm still amazed that TC was able to hold that team to 14 points after what they've been you, putting up the last three weeks. You are – I know. I can't believe that either. So, you realize that West Virginia does not control its destiny to the Big 12 title game, but Ohio – but Iowa State does. If yeah. Iowa State wins out, they are in the Big 12 title game. They, that game in Austin, which is stuck on the Longhorn Network, is going to be the is going to be the game that everything turns on. I know that West Virginia goes to Texas this weekend, and even if uh, West Virginia wins, you know Texas Texas that that would, I guess that would be their second loss. But you're going to be fighting with two teams that could be fighting for two losses. But if Iowa State wins out, they're in because they have the win over West Virginia. And um, yeah, West Virginia has to lose one more time. And then if if West Virginia loses one more time mm-hmm. and then Iowa State beats Iowa State wins out, which will include a win against Texas, it'll be them in Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game. Yeah, I guess I guess West Virginia does control its own destiny. I was thinking about them because they 
they still have to play Oklahoma and they still have to play Texas and they've got the loss to, and they still have to play TCU by the way, but they have that law, that big loss to Iowa state, man. I got to tell you, I would love for Iowa state to make the big 12 title game. I would be just fine with that. I would be just fine with Oklahoma, Iowa state, big 12 title game. Matt Campbell is, I mean, I don't know how you measure. I mean, the big 12 is pretty strong in coaching. What he's done is just nothing short of amazing. It's just absolutely nothing short of amazing. So mm-hmm. I'm impressed with Matt Campbell. And they, you know what the bad thing is right now? If you look at the Big Twelve standings, oh, the frogs are in dead that's, That last. is the worst thing about it. That is the worst thing about it. So, just uh, real quick here, let's get a prediction then, and we'll be done. Uh, who do you have winning the Big Twelve at this point? Just or what? What two teams do you have in the title game, Jeremy? Who Who are the two teams you have in the title game right now? Uh, I'm gonna go with. I'm going to go with Oklahoma and, and Iowa State because Iowa State, I think, can beat Texas. They've already beat West Virginia. I think they could beat Oklahoma – or they've already beaten Oklahoma they State. Have, so who who does Iowa State have left? I think they just have dogs left. I mean, they've beaten Oklahoma they've State. Got Baylor, they've got Baylor, right? Uh, they do have Baylor, yes. So they got Baylor, Kansas, and Kansas State. They've already beat Oklahoma State. They've already beat Texas Tech. They've already beat West Virginia. They lost Oklahoma. So if they beat Texas and they win all the other games they should, then they're going to mm-hmm. be in the Big 12 title game. And I think West, I think Oklahoma is going to beat West Virginia. I still think it's going to be a great game. And I think Iowa State could beat Texas and win the other game. So I'm going to predict Oklahoma and Iowa State. And I think Oklahoma probably wins that game, but I think it's going to be uh, a close one again. Yeah, Iowa State has Kansas, Baylor, Texas, K State left. They could run yeah. the table. Yeah, they will. They, they, yeah, they could really run the table. And then they have December first, a fill-in game for their uh, game that that was delayed by weather, got suspended because of weather against Incarnate Word. And so they might have to cancel the game with Incarnate Word because they made the Big, yeah. Tw- Big Twelve title game. Why would they do that? Why would they schedule a game Man, like that? Good for them. That's it's kind of crazy. Oh, they, yeah. they're probably fighting for bowl eligibility. At the time, sure. they probably thought, hey, we just want to make sure we're bowl eligible, which is, you know, they got contracts and what that does for boosters and right. fundraising and travel. That's probably a big deal. So they probably, but they built a clause that if they got oh, to the Big good. 12 title game, they could back out with no cost. So the, I, I do remember that. Yeah, they, they put that in there. Daniel, who do you have when it, who, who, do, who are the two teams, teams, teams you have in the Big 12 title game at this point? I also have Oklahoma and Iowa State because. Uh, Oklahoma should beat West Virginia. I really don't see them um, coming up short in that game, but it will be good, like Jeremy said. And then with what Iowa State has left, um, Texas will probably be mm, – they'll give them a test, but I have a feeling they'll um, they'll throw a hissy fit and Herman will have people holding back and all that, and, um, and they'll just kind of melt down and – Matt Campbell runs away with it. So that's going to be good. Where's that game at again? The game at the Iowa State te- uh, Texas game, it's in Austin. Okay. Yeah, it's in Austin. Well, I'm going to go counterintuitive after this weekend. I'm I'm just going to go ahead and put Oklahoma and Texas in the Big 12 title game. I think Texas is going to bounce back. I think they'll beat West Virginia and I think that uh 
even if they lose to West Virginia, I think they're going to beat Iowa State. So I think a two-loss in-conference Texas team could still get back to the Big 12 title game because I got to tell you, I know that rematches are tough. I know that every team that loses a heartbreaker thinks if they get a rematch, they could win it. But if Oklahoma runs the table, which I they're going to do, and they get a rematch against Oklahoma against Texas to get to the playoff, I, I think Lincoln Riley scores 75 points on them. I, I don't see any way that Texas would be able to beat Oklahoma again. And I think I think Oklahoma would do everything they could to just annihilate them. So, and I, I think they actually benefited from that loss because they were able to dump uh, Mike Stoops. So, that's that's the that's the hunch that I have. I know I think it might be a little complicated in terms of who wins and loses where, but I just think it's going to be Texas and Oklahoma again. And I think Oklahoma is going to annihilate whoever they end up playing. So, hey, don't look now. But did you see what Oklahoma's defense did to Alex Barnes last week? I did. Big 12's leading rusher had 38 yards against them. They did. They've they've looked – they're better. All they had they, to do was be a top 50 defense last year, and they're the national champion. They That's gave all they had to do. 275 to TCU, and I think 276 total yards to K-State. Yeah. Yep. But Ruffin McNeil's earning his paycheck right now. He's going to get that interim tag removed. Yep. I don't blame him. He's he's gonna all he has to do is improve. All they have to do is be competitive on defense, and they can just annihilate people. They can just annihilate people. So, well, we've been going an hour and fifteen minutes here, so we are gonna bring this thing to an end. And we didn't even get to talk K State, but we had a lot to talk about this week. So, uh, thirty seconds. Do the frogs beat K State, Daniel? Yes or no? No. Jeremy. Yes. I'm going yes as well because I'm a homer and I don't deny it. Frogs are going to beat Kansas State 31-21. Get the season back at least within proximity of the tracks. So for Jeremy and for Daniel, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast.